going now. Uh, go ahead and open in your books. We're going to be on page 33. We're going to be looking at lesson uh, five today, lesson five. And again, this is a book uh, by Brother Leroy Brownlow. Uh, did a wonderful job uh, laying this out. I, I had never studied this book before, and uh, I, I love the idea of uh, the questions and taking those and developing that into a lesson. And uh, I think he's done a very good job doing that. Look at uh, the top of page five. Here's the question. By what authority doest thou these things? That's Matthew 21, uh, 23. Go ahead and look at that, please. Because I think we need to get a context about what's going on there before we start. Can you tell who's asking that question? Wasn't Christ. A lot of these questions are questions Christ asked. This one's not. You know the context of that? Well, now you got your book to build next week, right? This week you may not. Uh, it's the Pharisees asking this question, all right? And they're asking it of Christ. What authority are you doing these things by? Well, what are they talking about? Go back to the beginning of chapter 21. And let's get a little more context about what's going on. We won't read this whole chapter, but you do need to remember, this is the, uh, at the end of the triumphal entry. Christ came into Jerusalem, and, and of course, all the, there were palm trees laid out and people giving him praise and those type things. Uh, he went into the temple. That was happening. This is one of the times he cleansed the temple. All right? So yeah, he made his triumphal entry. He cleansed the temple. And uh, then he goes out, and he comes back the next day. And that's when they ask that thing. Now think about what's going on. You're the Jewish leaders of the day. You're it. You've got the power. You've got the authority. You've got all the money and the wealth that's tied up into that. Of course, we know that their, uh, their, their government, as far as the social government, was all intertwined together with that. So if you're a religious leader of that day, You've got the authority. And you see somebody coming into Jerusalem who all the people are praising. I mean, they're giving him all sorts of accolades there, you know. And you know all the miraculous things he's done. Healing the sick and the different things that he's done. And uh, with this praise that they're giving him, you're thinking, wow, where's this challenge coming from? He doesn't have the authority we have. And he makes the book, he makes a point in the book here, uh, in point number two. He says, he doesn't have any religion, religious authority as far as the Jews go. He doesn't have any ecclesiastical or civil authority as a Jew. None of that. He, religiously, he doesn't have any authority. And as a civil government, Christ doesn't have any authority. Through their eyes, okay? Now we know, and we're going to look at these verses, that Christ's authority comes from a higher authority than what they're talking about. But from their perspective, you can see why they ask this question. Because he's kind of turning things on his head. Not only did he cleanse the temple, back in Matthew chapter 5, that's one of our references. If you're familiar with that, that's the Sermon on the Mount. Again, it was stated he's teaching as someone having authority. You know, he said, you've, you've heard it said in, of old times, it's going to be this way. I'm telling you this. 
and he takes it up to a higher level, a different plane. Not, not only do not murder, but don't even be angry with your brother. You know, so, so Christ is teaching things from a very authoritative perspective. And so the Jews are going, what's going on here? We want to know where you get this authority, okay? Again, point three, uh, Brother Brownlow makes the point that Christ's authority, of course, comes from God himself. Look at Matthew 17, 5. Matthew 17, 5. And this is uh, when he was transfigured. It says, While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. So God's saying, He's got authority. This is my Son. This is the one I'm wanting you to hear. Matter of fact, uh, go to Hebrews 1, 1. Hebrews chapter 1, 1 said, God, who in its sundry times and in divers mannered, spake in times passing of the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom he hath made the worlds. Christ had the authority. The Jews didn't see that. They didn't realize that. But Christ had the authority. And that authority was on a much higher plane than what they had their authority. But from their perspective... <laughs> They're seeing a challenge to that wealth, that power, that authority they had. And so they're questioning that. Now, if you look at his point number two, this question, though, brings up a very good uh, idea that we need to think about in religion. Where do we get our authority? Religiously speaking, or in point uh, number two here, just authority in general. Think about authority in daily life. That's his point in point two, number one there. Authority in daily life. What about uh, if a government could not establish the value of money? It was just up to each individual person. You just decide what a dollar's worth. Well, could we function like that? Can't function like that. He makes the point again. Uh, weights and measures. You know, what if you didn't know what a pound was? What if everybody decided on their own accord, how much weight was going to be in a pound. Or what if you went to the gas tank, you know, gas station to fill up and you didn't quite know what a gallon was. In one gas station, it was more than another. Well, you know, we have, and you can read it on the gas pumps, we have people from the state come around and measure that, don't we? They check that every night and they make sure that you're getting exactly what you're supposed to get for your money. Well, those standards we realize in daily life. Without those things, uh, we couldn't function. You know, you think about I came here today, the red lights I had to go through. I had stopped two or three times. Well, what if uh, on those red lights, what if you just kind of got to decide on your own if you stopped or not? Well, it would be kind of hectic, wouldn't it? No authority there. I know when my wife and I were dating, I think there were two red lights in Fulton, maybe one. I can't remember. But uh, when I was going to school there, I'd never seen a red light like this, and I still have not to this day. That was an old time, because they had old lights. I'm colorblind. I can't tell the difference between red and green. But I know green's on the bottom, red's on top. Okay, I know that. Well, these red lights that they had in town, I would stop, and I'd, I'd go, and people would blow at, and I'm going, what in the world's going on? Well, I found out they had old-fashioned lights where they had one light. Instead of having 
different color lights. They had the same color light, but they had different color lenses down through there. So when you had a light going right here, this way it was red, that way it was green, but they're both on the bottom. Why am I supposed to know that? I'm colorblind. I didn't know that. So when the light hit the bottom light, man, I took off. Whether it's red or green, it didn't matter to me. It's on the bottom. You know, that means go. Well, I found out, somebody pointed out to me, well, in this light on the bottom, it is red right here on this side, and on that side it's green. I said, okay. Well, I started obeying the traffic laws then, but I didn't know that at the time. And that's just one example of a little chaos I caused because I couldn't see the lights. But in life in general, that's the way it'd be. If we didn't have, you know, standards to go by, if we didn't recognize authority, whether it's in traffic laws or, you know, and I, I'm, I'm not going to get into politics too much here, but uh, for several this last year, you've heard a lot of stuff about defund police. We want to take the police out. We don't want to play. What would happen if we didn't have the police there Amen. to enforce the laws? We've seen some of that, I believe, around our country. When people said, mm, we don't want the police there, they're not going to enforce. Well, if you have that, it kind of deteriorates into chaos, doesn't it? You know, people just kind of do what they want to do. And, and when people do that, then you can't have, a, have people functioning as, as they would have, just, just in a society. Now, next point, point two. <coughs> in the field of religion, think about it a minute. Again, if we don't have any authority in the field of religion, what happens? Same thing happens in everyday life, right? We have chaos. If, if there's no governing authority, if we don't have any standard, if we don't have something to turn to and say, this is where we're going to find out what's right and wrong. If we don't have that, then we end up with a chaotic situation. And that's what we have today. We have a lot of... When this book was written, I believe he used the word, uh, the result is hundreds of churches. Now, we don't have hundreds of churches anymore. We've got thousands, okay? And I'm talking about thousands of churches that call themselves following Christ and doing His will. That's what they, that's what they call themselves. Christian churches following Christ, but yet they're teaching different things. They're doing different things. They're saying you can be saved in different ways. You say, well, how could that be if they're all following the same authority? Well, the obvious answer is they're not. Okay? They're not. We'll go back to the question again. In religion, do we need authority like that? Well, we need an authority if we're going to do the same thing, right? Matter of fact, look at, uh, he gives us, I believe, uh, Philippians 3.16. Go ahead and look in here. Uh, Bibles to Philippians 3.16. This is Paul talking. He says, Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. If we're going to walk by the same rule, if we're going to be doing the same things, then we have to have some standard, don't we? We have to have some standard of authority or we're not going to be walking by the same rule. We're not going to be doing the same things. So in religion, just like in everyday life, there is the need for that authority. Matter of fact, look at Judges 21-25. Judges 21-25. You probably know what this says. In those days, 
There was no king in Israel. And every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That's what happens. Without authority, whether it's in the social realm or in the religious realm, everything just goes to where everybody's opinion is good as everybody else's. You know, if there's no authority in religion, whatever I think something is, the way I feel it is, that's the way it is. It's just as good as anybody else's opinion, is it not? Yeah. If, if, if it all gets down to a man's opinion, then any man's opinion has to be accepted because they're all on equal footing. They all carry the same authority. They all carry the same weight. If not, why not? Why is one man's opinion any better than another man's opinion? No reason, is there? So, you know, we have to be careful what we put, put as our standard in religion because we don't want to end up like they did in Judges and everybody doing what's right in their own eyes. Questions or comments to this point? Yes, sir. I got one. So, so you brought up the, the reading in Judges. I think it's also interesting. You, if you think about God's uh, response to when Israel asked for a king, mm-hmm. I think that's kind of interesting compared to this verse. It says that there was no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes, the implication being that they needed the king. Mm-hmm. But then what was God's response to Israel asking for a king? Yeah, okay. So it's, He's supposed to be the king, right? So like, like you're pointing out, it's not just that an authority is needed, but it's the correct authority, right? And the correct authority has to be recognized by those who are going to submit to it, right? Um, there's always an authority. But the question is, are you going to submit to it? I mean, and I'll be honest with you, I'm just be honest as the day is long. The hardest thing I had to submit to, speed limit. Boy, that's hard. You know, I have to pull that foot back and, and it, it's tough. I don't, I don't fuss too much with the, with the stop signs and the red lights. And, uh, those are not that difficult. Speed limit? That's tough. You know, that's hard. Now, again, it's my choice to submit or not. Is it right? The law's out there. It's posted. You know, it, it's there. But it's to me where they have to submit. Same thing with Israel. What? God has always been their ruler. He's always been over Israel. He wanted to be their ruler. They didn't want to submit to that, did they? They wanted to be like the other nations around them and have a king, so they asked for one. And, of course, they got one. God, God gave them one. But uh, it was all as a matter of submission and what they were going to submit. And it all gets down to us, too. In religion, once we determine what that authority is going to be, then the next big question is, are we going to submit to that? Yes, sir. There, there you go. One way, and that's been my authority, and Jesus disagrees mm-hmm. with it. We have to choose. Is that, and he's going to bring that point out. That's one of his points in this lesson. Exactly. All right. Point number three. He said, okay, let's talk about different types of authority in religion. What about oral traditions? Now, he makes two or three points about the Catholic Church in here, about oral traditions. Okay. That, that they, do they accept that? Yeah, they do. They accept oral traditions. Matter of fact, sometimes they accept them rather late. Uh, if you go back and look on uh, point four, flip over a little bit, he talks about the Immaculate Conception and the Bodily Assumption of Mary. I didn't know a whole lot about that. 
I studied a little bit on it. Did you know that the Catholic Church didn't accept that as dogma as far as the Immaculate Conception goes until 1854? Pope Pius the, uh, the Ninth did that. 1854. That's a good bit away from when everything happened 2,000-something years ago, right? Why did it take them that long to accept that as, well, a man finally decided that was his opinion that they were going to accept that, right? That's what happened. You don't find that as far now. I didn't really quite understand what immaculate conception was. You have to believe in the, uh, and this is a whole other study, concept of original sin to understand that. Because the Catholic Church teaches that at the conception of Mary, that she was absolved of any uh, wrong or anything associated with original sin. So they have to, they, they, you have to accept original sin to even accept immaculate conception, okay? Because that's what it's all about. That when, at the point of her conception, she didn't have that stain of original sin anymore. That's what they mean by that, okay? Uh, the other thing is the bodily assumption of Mary. I wasn't sure what that was either. That was accepted in 1950. That was Pope Pius XII, okay? Bodily assumption of Mary means when she died, her body didn't go into the ground and deteriorate. God took her straight into heaven. Now, you don't read that anywhere in the Bible. But some man came to that conclusion. And I understand from 400, 500, whatever, some people have been believing that and teaching that, but it wasn't accepted as Catholic doctrine and dogma until 1950. Well, and his point is, if, if uh, oral tradition is, is true and right, why wasn't that accepted way before then? You know, why did they wait that long? Well, first of all, you have to understand oral traditions is not where we get our authority in religion. Again, it gets back to my opinion, your opinion, right? I mean, if I think it's right, it's right. If you think it's wrong, it's wrong. Yes, ma'am. Christ even spoke against that to the Pharisees. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. Christ spoke against the church oral traditions to the yes. Pharisees. Told them that their their little hand washings and things were not what really was important at all. That's right. And they had lost their way in this world and and away from God because they were following traditions of men. Which is noteworthy because that's a lot of what Judaism has been built up of now. Exactly. And not only Judaism. You think about religions that call themselves Christian. And I want to put an extra caveat in here. Brownlow didn't put. I, what about Latter-day Revelation? People that say, not just old traditions, but God keeps talking to them and keeps revealing stuff to them. I can't have it. I'm not trying to be offensive to anybody. But the Mormon religion, an angel, Golden tablets to Joseph Smith. He translated it. And now we've got a new Christian religion with quote-unquote another testament of Jesus Christ. Boy, that's our tradition. It's extra revelation and all sorts of stuff, isn't it? Well, you, know, uh, you may or may not remember the Branch Davidians. Some part of the same stuff. Uh, you remember uh, Jim Jones, Jonestown? Part of the same stuff. God's talking to me. God's revealing something to me. He wants me to lead you in this way. Well, that's just as powerful as an oral tradition, is it not? 
if you start talking about God still revealing things to me, and if you accept that, then how can you say if I go home tonight and I come back and say God revealed something to me? How are you going to argue against it? If you accept that as authority in religion, how do you ever argue against anybody's concept that they say God told them about? Well, you can't. Once you accept that premise, then the gate's wide open. The whatever. Now, you may not take it too far, in your opinion. Somebody else may take it a whole lot further. You know? But yet, once you accept that premise, then the door's wide open. So I think we need to be careful of all that. Whether it's uh, the oral traditions, or whether it's extra revelation, because, you know, uh, Galatians 1.8. Uh, turn, turn to Galatians 1.8. Again, you probably already know what it says. Um, okay, let's start in verse 16. This is Paul talking here. Our marvelous, you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And we said before, and so I say again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which you have received, let him be accursed. Uh, this tells me that once the apostles had revealed the Word of God through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and we have that, and it's closed, is it not? It's closed. And it says, even mentions angels. And that, again, that to me, you know, the Mormon religion specifically used an angel. And it specifically speaks against angels here. But again, once you accept that more revelation can come and that God is still speaking, the Catholic Church accepts that to the Pope today. He direct line. You know, he can, he can get revelation from God and and change doctrine and different things of the Catholic Church. Well, uh, you, you, if you accept that, then whatever he says is going to go if, as far as you follow that religion. But you can follow any religion that accepts that and do all sorts of various and sundry things. Questions, comments? I know I put a lot out there. Once uh, delivered unto the saints, Jude 1-3. There you go. Once delivered. All, we've got it all. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes, sir. That's true. Matter of fact, if you look, you just said the key word. Uh, he gets to that in uh, point number five down there. You said they feel. They got to have some kind of revelation. So it's based on their feelings. Well, is that an authority in religion? We're going to base it on our feelings? Well, if you do, your feelings change from day to day, don't they? I might feel a whole lot better today than I did yesterday. I might get irritated at somebody today, and I wasn't irritated at them yesterday. Could that 
change the way I see things as far as religion goes? Good, good. If you base it on feelings, and that, that's his whole point, point number five, which we haven't gotten down to you, but feelings. Do people base religious concept on feelings? Yes, they do. They do. And, and sadly, those feelings change. And they do. Now, sometimes you may not feel real good about things, but yet if you've got a standard to go by, and of course you know we're heading towards the Bible, if you've got a standard to go by, no matter how you're feeling that day, you can read that, and you can probably feel better. Because you know what's the best thing about that standard we've got? It doesn't change, does it? It's there. It's always there. It's always going to be there. And it doesn't change. And if somebody takes it and tries to twist it and turn it into something that's not, you can go right to that book and you can say, not what that teaches. Let's look at this together. Let's study the context of this and let's see what God was trying to say here because as it says, Bible's no, no private interpretation. It doesn't matter what I think about it. It matters what God's point is trying to get to us through those pages. And we've got to be careful as we study that that we are trying to ascertain that and not just trying to do things by our feelings and how we want things to happen. Anything else? Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's more than just there. It's right and it's best for us every time. Every time. You know, it's amazing, and maybe it's because of age, and I'm talking to people that are my age and older in here. Once you've lived life long enough and you read the warnings in the Bible when you were younger about staying away from this and staying away from that and don't do this and don't do that, which seems like a whole lot of fencing around you, you know, when you want to romp and stomp and run wild. But once you see why those are there and you see the type of things that you avoid in this life as far as bad consequences go and bad things happening to you, and it takes a few years for all of that to develop and for you to see that. It, it takes some living for that to happen. But boy, once you have done that living, you can see, man, I know why the Creator said don't do that. Don't get involved in this. It's going to have consequences that you're not going to like. It, it's going to cause things to happen in your life that you may not be able to ever fix that you might just have to deal with from then on. And but God will give us the best life we can possibly have in this life and in the next if we'll follow His Word. And of course, being human beings, sometimes we don't do that, do we? We still want to step out and do it our own way and all those kinds of things. And, and as the Bible says, we, we, we reap what we sow. You know, uh, you know, sometimes we don't sow the best seed in the world and we don't reap the best things in the world. Well, that happens to us. And uh, other times, we do what God wants us to do, and things turn out, turn out well. And, you know, I think if you look back in your life, I know I look back in mine, the things that have turned out well in my life is because I've done what God wanted me to do. I've stayed away from things He said stay away from, or I've done some things He said do. And good consequences can occur because of that. But also, we know that the bad consequences happen if we, if we don't do that. All right, let's see. I believe we got down to number four. That's what you brought up, right? Shall we accept the religion of our fathers? 
Well, first of all, I like his point here. He says, uh, look at point number two. Well, point number one, he says, many people do accept their religion because of past generations. But look at point number two. He said, this brings up a problem. Each person traced back seven generations has 128 parents. Which one are you going to follow? Because I bet if you look back at 128 of those people, every one of them is probably not doing the same thing in religion. So which one are you going to follow? You know? The one way back, oh, that must be the right one. He was closer. Or the one, and he makes point, he said some people follow people that, that couldn't even read. At that time, you go back enough generations, you're going to find somebody in your family that couldn't read. They couldn't read and study the Bible on their own. They listened to somebody. And hopefully they, they got a lot of things right. But maybe they didn't. And it gets down to this point. Who's responsible for you? You are. Who's going to stand before God for you? You are. None of your 128 parents, none of your ancestors, none of those people are going to stand before God for you. You're going to stand before God for you. And that's his point here. He said, you know, maybe they have done this for many generations. And he brings, of course, he talks about Paul. Did Paul have ancestors going way back in the Jewish religion? He did, didn't he? And you know, we don't, I don't think we can actually think about how hard that was for Paul and for other Jewish people to see that kind of change coming after hundreds of years of being in the Jewish religion and it being the accepted religion of God. And of course, they were looking for an earthly kingdom. They didn't see that Messiah coming. They didn't see it as a spiritual kingdom and they had a hard time seeing that and changing to that. Paul did. It took that thing on the road to Damascus, didn't it, for him to change. He did change. But it took a big thing for him to change. And he was basing that on a lot of his heritage. He studied at the feet of Gamal. He, he had a lot to brag on as far as his Jewish religion goes. But once he saw the truth, he changed it. And that's his whole point here. You know, it may be that somebody in your family has from years back saw religion in this light. But now, you know, you're studying, you see it, you're reading and you're finding out for yourself, oh, here's what God wants me to do. Here's what the Bible teaches. The question is, are you going to be willing to change? If you see the truth, or the light, if you will, like Paul did, are you going to be willing to change? Well, that's the question, isn't it? You know, are you going to base it on the religion of your fathers? Or are you going to be willing to base it on a standard of authority which we're leading towards and talking about? Go ahead. Acts 17 11 <coughs> said that, you know, they, they searched the scriptures daily to see if whatever they were telling them was the truth. So that's what we have to do. We have to search whenever somebody tells us, I mean, even when Brother Barker uh, uh, get up there and preach, we have to go back and read. That's right. God. I've done it. You know, I've been up uh, giving a lesson before and, and, and they gave out something wrong and somebody come to me and showed me where I made the mistake. And then I, you know, when 
next time I had the opportunity, I would you know, let them know why I made my mistake. Exactly right. You know, this book we're studying, copyright was 1961. Brother Brownlow's dead now. Uh, we're teaching out of this book. But I know all the guys that are teaching, you're just not reading straight far from it, are you? you you searching the scriptures. You're looking up those references. You're making sure that what Brother Brownlow said here is a valid point and that it's supported by scripture. That's what we're supposed to do, isn't it? That's that same study. And it, no matter who said it or what, we need to go back and study and make sure that this is correct. This is what we need to follow. Not just because some man said it, but because God said it. Because what God uh, revealed through his word supports whatever point the gentleman. And, you know, we're supposed to make points. We're supposed to study the scriptures. And we're supposed to come to a conclusion those times. Without that, we couldn't even come to a conclusion how to be saved, could we? If we weren't supposed to make conclusions. But the thing is, we have to study and be sure that we're making the correct conclusions. Okay, it's... it's that says 16. I didn't hear anything go off yet. Do what? Okay. All right. That clock must be a little fast. and going, that thing's fixed to go off. I don't want to get too far. Uh, okay. The next, uh, the next point is the feelings. Okay. We talked about the ancestors, and then we're talking about feelings. Said a little bit about that already, but if you base your, uh, your religion on feelings, then... How you feel that day may be right, it may be wrong, and it may be based on truth, maybe based on a lie. You're not sure what your feelings are based on unless you have a standard to go by. I think we'll stop there because I might have enough, uh, I don't know if i got enough to get through next week or not, but I'll start anyway right there, okay? <laughs> and we'll, we'll go from there. Thank you all for your attention.